Welcome back to your therapy tools. This is DBT8. We'll be discussing opposites, radical acceptance, the acronym STOP, and ACCEPTS. And I want to start by talking a little about core beliefs and vulnerability factors and unhealthy relationships. And then we'll jump into radical acceptance. So, core beliefs. What are your core beliefs? These are beliefs that are formed, they begin to form in childhood. So if you had parents who were abusive, you developed a core belief that you were not worthy of love and respect and it was best that you stay under the radar and stay quiet and mousy, never voice your opinions or you'll get hit. And this transfers over into adulthood as very codependent behaviors, very um, introverted behaviors, fear of speaking up and sharing your opinion, fear of speaking up and setting boundaries, fear of speaking up and trying to get your needs met. Maybe your parents weren't exactly abusive, but they were kind of dismissive, you know, go outside and play, leave me alone, I'm trying to relax, or I'm depressed, I can't get out of bed, so I'm just going to let you guys do whatever. Maybe your parents were just there but not there, right? So you grew up feeling like you didn't have their approval. If they approved of you, maybe they would have spent more time with you. Maybe you felt like they didn't really like you very much. Maybe you felt like you weren't worthy of being observed when you played softball. Maybe they never came to your cheer meets. Maybe they never um, really praised you for getting good grades. They were just kind of like, meh, okay, cool. There's your report card, thanks. Um, So this would transfer over into adulthood as minimizing your successes, minimizing your accomplishments, kind of feeling like you you don't measure up no matter what you do, could also lead to codependent personality traits. And in relationships, you're probably a little anxious and uneasy, um, not quite believing that someone could love you because you just kind of didn't feel loved as a kid. Or maybe your parents were toxic, neurotic, narcissistic, however you want to say it. And they were constantly comparing you to others. They were constantly um, building you up only to let you down. They acted like you were an extension of them, like you were one of their arms or legs. And they lived by proxy through you by trying to force you to be perfect by trying to force you to be just like them, telling you what you will and will not do, what kind of job you'll have when you grow up, how to speak, how to think, how to talk, how to walk, not giving you any freedom to explore being yourself. And this transfers over into adulthood. Maybe you go buck wild for a while and you try on a bunch of different personas and try to figure out who you are because you're lost. And In doing so, it's hard to have confidence in yourself, and it's hard to really attach yourself to a sense of self uh, because maybe you don't have anybody telling you who to be in the moment. So without that confidence, you definitely can develop the imposter syndrome, 
and you could you could get a PhD in neurosurgery and you would still think that oh that's not good enough I I just haven't been successful yet Um, that can transfer over into relationships in several different ways you could be a controlling person who projects that onto your partner you could be the passive person who can never quite embrace your own successes you could feel confused like no home has ever been your home and you just don't know when you'll be truly home in your own body and in a building that we call a home you may just feel lost like you're just floating on a cloud detached watching your life through a window. And all of these core beliefs, most of them, most all of them, are lies. They're vicious, terrible lies that by no fault of our own, we we ingested and they became a part of our DNA because when we're little, The caretakers around us are kind of like our gods. They're our life givers. They're our gods. They're our teachers. And uh, even when they're not teaching us, they are teaching us. So we develop these core beliefs. And a lot of common core beliefs revolve around being a failure or not being good enough. So let's examine that a little bit. So if your core belief is, is I'm a failure, I want to ask you, Okay, so you're a failure. Have you ever succeeded at anything, big or small? What have you ever succeeded at? And I want you to write down what you have succeeded at. Did you master walking the dog on the yo-yo? Did you master roller skating? Did you master learning your times tables? How quickly did you learn your ABCs and do you still know them now? That's a success. Did you master uh, a task at any job that you've had where your boss says, I want you to do ABC and you go and do it and your boss says, cool, good job, thanks. You know, what have you been successful at? I want you to list everything you've ever been successful at. And I want you to like think of who or what made you believe that you are a failure from your past. Write down phrases that you heard, behaviors directed towards you by caretakers, by teachers, by siblings, by friends that convinced you that you were a failure. And now I want you to think, were you truly a failure or is there some other way you can look at this? Did your parents favor a sibling over you? Were you discarded by a toxic person? Were you unfairly fired from a job because there was a toxic person in the, in the workplace? Or did you make a mistake? Did you simply make a mistake? Uh, maybe you didn't do your work the way you're supposed to. Your boss gave you an evaluation and said, you're just not up to par. We're going to let you go. And you walked away feeling like a failure. So are you truly a failure or did you just make a mistake? And if you made a mistake, you're not a failure. That means you learned what not to do next time, right? You, you learned a lesson from that. So write down times that you made a mistake that you, your core belief told you, ooh, you're a failure. Write down those things and reword that. 
I made a mistake and I learned dot 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 what did you learn from it um and write down what you're good at now what are your talents what are your gifts what are your skills what are you good at doing right now are you an artist are you good at cleaning your house are you good at fixing cars are you really good at playing baseball are you really good at giving your friends advice are you a master poker player what are you good at now and how do you define a successful relationship and do you have to be a successful person in order to be loved think of different people in your life that you consider to be successful what is it that makes them successful and have they ever failed at anything have they made mistakes if they failed at something made a mistake does that make them a failure imagine your own child trying out for something at school maybe they want to get in the chess club or they want to play a role in the drama club or they want to be a cheerleader or play football or baseball and they they practice and they go to school and they do the tryouts and they come home and their head is hung low their shoulders are slumped and they say i didn't get picked what would you say to your kid would you consider your child to be a failure why or why not something to think about now i want to jump into unhealthy relationships So in unhealthy relationships we have the critic which is the narcissist the 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 toxic person um and then we have the devastator who's judgmental and critical and they reject you and we have the depriver this person is detached they withhold love sex and money they withhold connecting with you and they leave you emotionally starving And we have the abuser. Um obviously they're not safe to be with, they're not trustworthy, and you live in fear. And then we have the abandoner, the person who is emotionally unavailable, you don't get any intimacy. The relationship just feels very unstable. There is absolutely no security. You're afraid to speak up to get your needs met or call them out on an unhealthy behavior because you're afraid they'll abandon you. So how many of these traits as I read them off? How many of these traits have you recognized in yourself? Do you ever feel yourself being detached, withholding love or sex? Do you ever notice that you are being narcissistic or that you are being judgmental or critical? Uh do you withhold intimacy for fear of being hurt? How many of those traits do you recognize in you? And then ask yourself if you have a pattern of attaching to unhealthy people in relationships who have these traits. When you look back at your relationships, do you see a series of almost like getting together with the same human over and over but they have a different face? So you you're you're dealing with the same dysfunctional, unhealthy person. over and over and over. 
if you answered yes to any of this, it's probably pretty likely that you're acting out your past relationships from childhood to try and generate a different outcome. And I've talked about this before. You're, you're attaching to what feels familiar. It's not that we say, oh, I want to go find some dude who's emotionally uh, unavailable and just throw myself at his feet and give him my whole heart and heal him with all my love that nobody thinks that way, but it's, it's a familiar energy that we feel and we're attracted to it like a moth to a flame. It's like our spirit wants to right the wrongs that have happened to us but we end up doing it the wrong way because we don't know what we don't know. So we'll find ourselves in these patterns. And when you really look at those patterns of past relationships that didn't work out, sometimes you simply grew apart. Sometimes they moved away. Sometimes it's just, it's just life. But the other relationships that ended badly, that left you feeling very scarred, that maybe even caused you to ingest a couple more core beliefs about yourself. That's the ones I really want you to look at. What is the pattern? Are you attracted to the abandoners, the abusers, the deprivers, the devastators, or the critics? Or is it a combination of some of those? Or is it all the above? So how many of these traits are in your current partner? And how many of these traits were exhibited by your caretakers in childhood? How many of these traits match up to mom and dad or whoever raised you that caused you to develop these core beliefs about yourself that have carried over into your adulthood? Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so look at vulnerability factors again. Let's just take a quick look at that again. Everything I listed right here is a vulnerability factor. Your core beliefs, your unhealthy relationships, that uh, inner child in your spirit seeking these dysfunctional beings in hopes that you can generate a new outcome, thereby healing yourself. This is all vulnerability. So more vulnerability factors include if you fear abandonment, um, when you see any kind of change in behavior in your partner, you're going to freak out. Maybe they joined a gym. Maybe their work schedule has changed. Maybe they've made a new friend. And you're over there thinking, oh no, I see some changes. Something's wrong. This person's going to leave me. I just know it. If you are constantly seeking reassurance, you're struggling to believe that the other person loves you unless they say it constantly or show it constantly. So if you, maybe you send them a text that says, I love you while they're at work and they don't respond for about an hour because 
the boss told everybody, no phones allowed on the floor, go put it in your locker. So in an hour, they check their messages on break and they say, hey, I love you too. And you're overthinking it. Like, why did it take a whole hour? Why did you have to think so hard on responding to that? Um, And if you feel extremely threatened by your partner's other relationships, maybe you're freaked out because they work with people of the opposite sex. Maybe you're feeling really insecure because it's a mama's boy or a daddy's girl. Maybe maybe their relationship with their kids, putting their kids first, makes you feel like you don't matter. And sometimes we can feel very insecure when it comes to the friendships that they have. What if they like their friends more than me? Why do they respect their friends more than me? And you start overthinking. So what are some opposite actions to all of this? How can you explain the above situations a little differently? You might say they joined a gym to get healthy and look good. They picked up some overtime to pay off the car. They met someone at the gym who has the same interests, such as golfing, and now they have a new golf buddy to go hang out with for a couple hours every Sunday. Maybe their love language, the way they feel loved, is the way they show love, right? Maybe they show love by acts of service, so maybe they're not telling you they love you constantly, but they fill up your car with gas, which is, woo, that's huge right now, right? Gas prices are insane, so if somebody's filling up your gas tank, you know they love you. Uh, maybe they're filling up your gas tank and washing your car and uh, feeding the animals for you, so when you get up, you don't have to. You can just have your coffee and start your day. So maybe they're, you know, you want to look at other ways they may be reassuring and validating you and showing their love. Look at other ways they might be doing that rather than just the words. And if the words are that important to you, you have to open your mouth and use your words. You have to say, hey, I was looking at love languages and I feel most loved when somebody tells me they love me all the time. So if you're going to the store, you say, I'm going to the store. Bye. I love you. I'll be right back. If When you wake up in the morning, good morning. I love you. You know, you want to hear those words, I love you. That matters a lot to you. Let them know. If you find that your love language, you feel most loved when somebody's bringing you small tokens of appreciation or gifts. And it, it doesn't have to be, you know, diamonds, gold things like that. It could be just a simple flower. It could be a card. It could be your favorite Starbucks coffee, whatever it is. And you let them know, I'm not trying to be materialistic. That's not what this means, but it makes me so happy when you bring me my favorite candy bar sometimes, you know, um, I really feel loved. So look at the other areas in which you feel loved other than just words. What behaviors can they exhibit that show you I am loved and how can you find it in your heart to trust those behaviors instead of hearing the words all the time so that's a very important one too that goes against a core belief that um, if they're not telling you they love you they don't that's not true Um, 
It's actually the opposite, especially if you've been with a toxic person, you already know this. If a person tells you they love you and their behavior does not back it up, that's more likely manipulation. Just like if they apologize to you with words, but their behaviors continue and they don't make any changes, that too, my friend, was a manipulation. So it's important to look at other ways that you feel loved rather than just words because anybody can say, oh, I love you so much. Anybody can say that. You want to see action. So write down the ways in which you feel loved other than being told with words. If and, and another factor to this is if you isolate people from their people, their new friends, their family, because you feel extremely threatened, then you have become the abusive one and you're struggling really hard with trust, really hard. You're afraid they're going to abandon you. You're afraid those other people are going to talk about you and convince your partner that you're no good. And likely it's all anxiety and future telling and catastrophizing and all of the other stupid thoughts just swarming in your head like bees. So what can we do with all of this? How can we use some DBT skills and alternate actions to cope in a more healthy way with these vulnerabilities because honestly these vulnerabilities are not going to uh, just go away overnight you cannot just simply snap out of thinking that way it takes a lot of hard work it takes compromise it takes radical acceptance it takes the stop tool in dbt it takes the tip tool in dbt you have to engage in decatastrophizing your thoughts. You have to use mindfulness. You have to practice really good self-care. And you have to stop punishing your current relationship people because of past relationships that were hurtful. You're carrying that pain and you're projecting that onto the person you're with now because the last person cheated So this person's going to cheat. You've got to stop waiting for the other shoe to drop. Stop, stop and realize you are enough. It is not just what you do that measures your success. It's who you are that makes you successful, lovable, worthy, and special. And it's really important to let go of the past, dismiss it, get that closure So opposite to emotion, on the DBT deck, it says O-T-E, opposite to emotion for procrastinating. So we all know Nike's just do it or Shia LaBeouf, do it. (laughs) Um, Whenever you're faced with a lack of motivation, you need to get yourself up, take that first step and just do it. Make a list of things that you have procrastinated on and start completing those things one thing at a time, one day at a time, and do not eat that chocolate, do not watch that TV show, do not do anything rewarding until you've completed your task first. Work first, play later. That way you will be reinforcing that motivation and more motivation will come to you.
opposite action for shame. Shame pushes you into hiding and not wanting others to know how unlovable, damaged, or any other negative, false core belief that you're holding on to. Shame operates in the dark. So the opposite action is to come out of hiding, shine your light on it, share what is causing your pain with somebody who can be accepting and non-judgmental. Opposite to unjustified guilt. Sometimes we feel guilty for stupid reasons because of our stupid thoughts, right? And it's absolutely not justified. So examples of this include um, doing self-care behaviors and saying no or otherwise setting boundaries with other people. Some people even feel guilt for having fun. You might feel guilty for buying yourself a new pair of shoes that you desperately need, but they're, you're buying them for you, so you feel guilty. And maybe that's because in childhood, um, you could never afford anything. You grew up super poor, and you heard people talking about how stupid rich people are, and who needs all those shoes when you got one pair, and you're selfish, and all those things. So you grow up feeling really bad if you buy yourself a new pair of shoes because you think of where you came from and it's just not something you thought was a good thing. So don't feel guilty for your self-care. Don't feel guilty for saying no to protect your boundaries. Don't feel guilty for having fun and laughing and don't feel guilty for buying yourself a new pair of shoes if you need those shoes. When you feel guilt for an unjustified reason, Coach yourself out of it with positive self-talk statements and continue to do the so-called guilty behavior until it no longer causes that emotional reaction in you. A great example of this is learning to say no. Setting those boundaries and saying no. It's so hard when you've been a yes person your whole life. Sometimes you don't want to do stuff. Somebody asks for a favor, somebody asks you to go somewhere, you don't want to do it. You're like, nah, I don't want to do that. I want to do something else. But you feel this pressure, this obligation, this core belief that you don't have the right to say no, that you don't have the right to your own time, that you have to give in order to be a good person. So you say, yes, I'll do it. You don't want to do it, but you say, yes. What do you feel then? You don't feel guilt, really, but you feel... You feel like you're not being true to yourself. You feel like you're cheating yourself. And you're saying no to you. So you've been really good at saying no to you all this time. So it's just time to turn that around. You're going to start saying no to other people. When somebody asks you for a favor you don't want to do, say no. Nope. When somebody asks to borrow money and you don't have that money to give, say no. When somebody asks you to show up to an event that you have no interest going to, say no. When somebody wants you to go somewhere where you, every time you've gone, you felt quite awkward, just say no. Just say no. Another fun slogan from the 80s and 90s, right? Just say no. Um, And the more you practice saying no, the better you will feel. So don't feel unjustified guilt for taking care of yourself 
opposite action for anxiety. So with anxiety, we avoid what we fear. And you know when you give in to that fight, flight, or freeze, you're in a crowd of people, you start having anxiety, the anxious thoughts are racing, you feel your chest hurting, you're like, I got to get out of here. And you take off and you bolt, bolt down the road and you go home. And once you get home and you lock that door, you're in your safe space. And your breathing normalizes. You feel better. You don't feel that fear. You're okay. You have just reinforced your anxiety. Stop it. So the opposite to that is to stay in the crowded group of people. Sit with that uncomfortable emotion until it passes. Focus on something positive in that crowd of people, even if it's the color of somebody's shoes or shirt. So conquering fear and anxiety, you have to approach what makes you anxious one step at a time, little baby steps, or one big step if you're that type of person. If you're very extreme and you dive in head first with no fear, you could totally do this in one big step. So you want to step into something that causes you anxiety and work through it. Use a DBT skill to work through that anxiety in that moment and you can start to reverse the reinforcement of anxiety attacks. And you will still feel the anxiety. You'll still be aware of it, but it will not take control of you anymore. You'll be controlling it. So pick one situation that causes you anxiety and list out some specific DBT behaviors that you can practice in order to overcome your fears and tolerate and accept the moment that you find yourself in. Opposite action to depression. Depression causes you to fall into this spiral of depressive behaviors such as isolating yourself, um, practicing zero self-care, focusing on negative thinking, becoming inactive like a sloth, um, stopping personal hygiene even. Some people just stop brushing their teeth. They stop taking showers. They just lay there in their bed and refuse to get up. So this, this opposite action tool is far more difficult. It's probably one of the more difficult ones because when you are depressed, it's hard to even get out of bed sometimes. So using opposite action to get moving You want to get some sort of exercise, even if you're just walking outside to your mailbox and back. You want to connect with people. You want to get professional support. Increase your self-care and practice encouraging and affirming thoughts. Adopt some affirmations. Every day I feel a little less depressed. Every day I feel a little bit happier about life. What is one thing I can be grateful for this morning? The key is to get moving with opposite to emotion before your rut gets too deep. If you have a really poor mood, do these opposite to emotion actions. Opposite emotion to anger. Anger causes us to go all Jerry Springer on people. It causes us to have higher blood pressure, heart disease. It can cause you to get cancer. Anger is the devil. 
okay? Anger is the devil, Bobby Boucher, okay? So we've got to resist the urge to become angry and behave in angry ways. We've got to resist that urge by avoiding the person we're angry with until we can calm down. That's where stop comes in, okay? Stop means stop, don't move. T means take a step back, take a time out. What's going on? Observe. Observe what's going on. What was said? How are you feeling? What kind of response or reaction were you impulsively getting ready to engage in? And how is the other person responding, reacting, and speaking? And P, you're going to proceed only after you take a time out, get yourself in a mindful place, and you could even use progressive muscle relaxation and the breathing. Get yourself in wise mind. Think of some good DBT tools that would be useful in this moment. And then you proceed. So if you struggle with ongoing frustration and anger, counteract these emotions by choosing to be actively nice towards others. And I teach this when it comes to bullying, especially bullying. Bullies just don't know what to do when you respond to them with a compliment or when you respond to them with kind words. Because it's no fun to kick a dead dog, right? Once they see that you're not going to respond, you're not going to cry, you're not going to get angry, you're not going to run away in fear. Once they see that you just stand your ground and wish them love and healing and give them some sort of a compliment and validate them, they kind of don't find it very fun to pick on you anymore and they'll leave you alone. So if you want more information on specifically dealing with bullies, let me know. Um, ElizabethLMFT.org is my website. ElizabethLMFT at Outlook.com is my email. Let me know if you want more information on that. We can do a whole podcast episode on that. Okay, so another tool is radical acceptance. This means that you are accepting reality. You're accepting what you are not in control of in the present moment. So God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. That is radical acceptance. And this can include the affairs of the world, what's going on in the world, what's going on in politics, what's going on uh, with the with the Ukraine and, and Russia, what's going on with all that. Um, maybe it's the traffic. You have no control over how heavy and stop and go the traffic can be. You have no control over other people's behaviors. You have no control over the past. And sometimes we have no control over our pain. So accepting the reality of what is and what we cannot control in the present moment basically sums up radical acceptance. So not using this tool, it invites you to engage in your old behaviors that are not serving you. Um, 
you'll feel that frustration, the anger, the stress. You might stonewall, you might snap at people, throw a fit, overeat, use a substance or another addictive behavior to cope. You might catastrophize the situation. You might freeze up and do nothing when you should do something. You might have anxiety and your head will be swarming with stupid thought bees, just just hard to get rid of those thoughts. So not using radical acceptance helps you to, or (laughs) harms you into using behaviors that are not beneficial to you or anybody else. Fighting against something you have no control over makes your life much more difficult. So acceptance reduces the impact of stress and uncomfortable situations that are out of your control on your quality of life. It reduces the impact of the stress on the quality of your life. And you are here to learn to reduce the impact of negativity on your daily life. So I know you want to do the radical acceptance thing, right? Okay, so acceptance is not giving up. It doesn't mean you stay at a job you hate because you accept that the job sucks and you need the money. It doesn't mean that you stay in a relationship that is unhealthy for you because this relationship is just not healthy, but whatever. Um, It doesn't mean that you lose all hope. Acceptance is not hopelessness. Okay. Acceptance, acceptance is seeing everything as it is. This table in front of me is a table and that's all it is. It's a table and I'm not passing judgment on the table. It's neither good nor bad. It just is. It's a table. It is what it is. It is also seeing your emotions as they are right now. I feel angry and that doesn't make me bad or good. It just means that I'm feeling some anger my body sensations. I feel tense. I feel like my breathing is shallow. This is neither good nor bad. It just is what it is. Do I have control over any of it? I do. I can do some deep breathing. Okay. Um, people's, our behaviors and other people's behaviors, they are what they are in the moment. We can change our behaviors, but we can't change anybody else's. If you're faced with a narcissist or if you're faced with somebody who's a bully and they're raging at you, you can't make them stop. You can't really control them. You can de-escalate a little bit by giving compliments and agreeing with them. Sure, I... Some people have said I'm stupid in my lifetime. I don't agree that I'm stupid, but I've done a lot of stupid things. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're pretty smart, you know? And then how are they going to come back with a, with a rebuttal for that? Oh, yeah, well, you're ugly. You know, what are they going to say? Um, so you can de-escalate a little bit and then get the hell out of there and go take your time out. Use the stop. Um what else can we see? It is as it is. If it's raining outside, does that upset you? It's raining. It is raining. There's nothing I can do about it. Um, it's neither good nor bad. It's just raining. It is what it is. The traffic. I can't change the traffic. I can't change the fact that when I was driving down the road yesterday, some guy five cars behind me passed everybody in the line of cars on the left to get to the light first and stop. Am I going to get upset? No, no. Uh, 
I might pass a little judgment and say that person's an idiot. That was an illegal move and they must be on drugs. I don't know. Uh, But whatever the reason they drove that way, it is what it is. I couldn't have controlled what they did, you know? So you're, you're focused on what's happening right now in the moment. You're not looking at what's happening in the future. If you're thinking about the future all the time, you have a serious case of anxiety. Don't think about the future. Focus on here and now. Keep yourself grounded. Be mindful. This helps to avoid emotional flooding that leads to our own negative behaviors. Accept what you cannot change. It greatly reduces suffering and makes your life more manageable. I hope that you will pick something this week that you can radically accept, whether it's a human, the traffic, whatever it is, and change one of your go-to unhealthy behaviors and just see how it feels to just say, well, it is what it is. If you're a Generation X person, um, it'll be easy for you. If you're not, it'll be a little bit more difficult. So pick something this week. And if you have to start with the table in front of you, go there. And then you can start branching out from there. I hope this was helpful. And I thank you so much for tuning in. And I look forward to any comments, any questions, let me know and have a beautiful day because you are worth it and you are a rock star.